0: I love that song and appreciate uh, Brother Shane introducing us as a congregation to it. And also, I think it's particularly neat because that song was written uh, by Brian Fowler. I know a lot of you know Brian. Y'all just call him Lacey's Brian. I think that's what we call him around here. Um, But he actually wrote that song, so it's particularly special for us. Um, But I love the, the thought and the idea behind the words in that song. If you have your Bibles with you, let me invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, I know that obviously I was out last week and uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Brian, was here to preach. And so uh, we moved away from Galatians for the week and he preached out of Ezra and I appreciate his willingness to come and do that. Uh, But today we're going to move back into Galatians. And just kind of refreshing a little bit, we've seen here in the the first chapter, chapter a little bit plus of Galatians, Paul introducing this major issue that they're dealing with here, right? He's writing to Christian people who were saved by grace through faith, the only way that anybody can be saved, but who now had some Jews that were coming in and telling them, no, no, no. The, the way that you were saved is not enough. Uh, you can't have just faith in Jesus Christ. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ plus be circumcised, right? So they're adding this legalistic element. This, they're adding to what the Bible requires of people. And so Paul's correcting that. He's saying, no, don't listen to them. They're lying to you. It doesn't take faith plus anything else to be saved. Faith in Jesus Christ is enough, it was enough, and it will always be enough. Amen? So we celebrate that. Paul has been introducing that. And today we're going to look at a text that really, for casual readers of the Bible, particularly for non-Christians that are just history people that enjoy reading the Bible, probably one of the more intriguing passages, it's short text, Uh, But one of the more intriguing passages because what we see in today's text is a confrontation between Paul and Peter. So basically you have arguably the two most influential people in the New Testament that aren't named Jesus. And there's going to be a confrontation between the two of them over something that Peter is doing wrong. That Peter, uh, I think, would agree with us was wrong and should not have done. But at the time, he needed to be told that. And so as we look at this text, there, there are a couple of things that I hope that we walk away from this with. I hope that whenever we walk away from this text, that you can explain to somebody what it was that Peter was doing wrong. What was he doing wrong? Do you have a good grasp of that? But not only what was he doing wrong, but why was it such a big deal? Why was it such a... And, and we're going to see, Paul really uses some language that points out it was a huge deal. Why was it such a big deal? And the last thing is, how did Paul respond? So what did Peter do? Why was it such a big deal? How did Paul respond to this? So look with me. We'll see the text in its entirety, verses 11 through 14, Galatians chapter 2. And then we'll look at it a verse at the time. Paul says, but when Cephas... That's, that's another name for Peter. So when you see Cephas, just think Peter. of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right, if y'all would join me in, let's pray and ask the Lord's favor as we study his word this morning. Oh, God, what a blessing to already be together with brothers and sisters who love you and who are committed to praising and worshiping you. Father, we We've already been able to do that through song and through prayer. And, Lord, I pray now that our hearts and minds are intent on on honoring you by studying your word together. Lord, I pray that you would help my words to be clear and concise this morning, that I would be able to share the truth of your word with your people in the way that you want them to hear it. And, Lord, that we would grow to love you more and to follow you more closely because of these things that we learned today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here, uh, Paul gives us the setting in verse 11. This happened in Antioch, and I'll tell you in just a moment why that's particularly helpful for us to know. But, But they're in Antioch, so this is a Roman town. They're there, and apparently Peter comes to town and stays for a while because we see that he had a normal pattern while he was there. And then we see that pattern breaking now. You have to remember the historical context that we're talking about here. This is after Jesus has died and come back to life. Jesus has died and come back to life and he's gone to heaven. And at this point, the gospel has spread uh, to much of the known world, right? There are Jewish people that have heard the gospel and responded in faith and they are Christians. And there are Gentile people, right? Non-Jewish people, Greek people that have also heard the gospel and they've responded and they are Christians as well. And so these people, the Jews and the Gentiles who used to be separated, now through Christ have been made one. They're one church, they're one family, they're one group of people. That was probably more noticeable in Antioch than maybe anywhere else in the world because Antioch, we're talking about a huge city, the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire... They estimate about 65,000 Jewish people live there and over 400,000 Gentile Greek Roman people live there. And so the church there would have had lots, I mean, thousands and thousands of Jewish Christians and thousands and thousands of Gentile Christians, all part of this one church, all worshiping together. And so when Peter comes to town, He joins right in. He's there with the Jews and he's there with the Gentiles. And and we see from Paul's writing that not only is he there with them, but he's eating with them, right? He says that in verse 12. He says, before certain men came from James, he, talking about Peter, was eating with the Gentiles, right? He's just hanging out. They're spending time together, getting to know each other. They're friends. But then something happens. These men... Come from James, these very devout Jewish men who didn't believe that Jews and Gentiles should be mixing in that way. They come to town and what does he do? It tells us in verse 12, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So what happens is when these men come, Peter apparently feels this peer pressure. From these men, and decides, you know what, I'm going to stop hanging out with these Jewish people, and, and he, uh, with these Gentile people. And so he does. He, he withdraws, and he's no longer eating with them, and he's no longer hanging out with them because of this pressure that he's feeling from this outside group, these other people that have come to town. And so, point one this morning is this Peter alienated Gentile Christians. Peter alienated Gentile Christians, right? He's, he's friends with them. I, point one was almost Peter ghosted the Gentile Christians, but some of you don't know what it means whenever I say he ghosted them. Uh, so just alienated probably works better. But he just, right, we've been friends, we've been hanging out, we've been spending time together, and all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. They're not hearing from Peter. Peter's not showing up for the meals. Peter's no longer coming around. Something, something has happened, and, and I know it's hard for us because Jews and Gentiles and Antioch and the setting, it's hard for us to really grasp it. So let me give you kind of an illustration, analogy I think is helpful, at least in my mind, for grasping this. So last week, most of you noticed, most of you that were here noticed that I wasn't here. Hopefully, at least you noticed that. Um, Brian looks better than I do, so you probably did notice. But so I i was out, I was in Atlanta, and and just before watching the Falcons win their season opener. And all the Saints fans were sad, I know. But just before that, we had the opportunity to go to a church in midtown Atlanta that looks a whole lot different than, than this church, than this congregation looks. Now, there are several things that were unique about For one, we met in a movie theater, and so that's, that's different already. Uh, but then something else that was different in, in a very unique and special way is that, that there, were, there were white people and black people, and Asian people, and Hispanic people, uh, and there were, there were poor people, and there were rich people, and there were, I'm assuming, by the way, that, that some of them talked to one another, highly educated, and some people that were not educated, and they were all together. And it's now there's only about 60 to 65 people in the church. And so, I mean, the diversity really stood out that you had that many groups of people, right? College students and, and older people, all in this one congregation, even though it was a small body. And so imagine this. Imagine if I'm there for a few weeks. Like, I go and I'm staying in Atlanta for three or four weeks. And so I'm going to that church and I'm spending time with them. And I'm going to small group Bible study with, with all the different, all the diverse people that are part of the church. But then some people come to visit Atlanta that I think wouldn't be as receptive to worshiping with Asian and white and black and Hispanic people. And so all of a sudden, I draw back. And I don't spend time with anybody other than the white people there. It'd be pretty noticeable, wouldn't it? It would be very egregious, wouldn't it? That's really what Peter's doing here. I know it doesn't sound the same because Jew and Gentile doesn't sound... But that's what's happening. Uh, Peter is a Jew and he's spending time with Jews and Gentiles, with all the Christians because they're all one family until these other folks come that don't believe so. And all of a sudden... Peter's mind and his heart and his actions don't line up with one another anymore. He knows that the Gentiles are Christians, and he knows that he loves them, but his actions don't reflect that anymore. And Paul tells us, he's going to tell us in verse 13 twice, that what he was doing was being a hypocrite. He was acting like the truth was not the truth. So let's look at a couple of... that. That's what he was doing wrong, right? What's he doing wrong He's alienating these Christians. He's he's segregating himself, separating himself from these Gentile Christians. Why is that such a big deal? Well, there are two things we see in the text that make it a really, really big deal. Look in verse 13. It says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So not only is Peter showing this impartiality away from these Gentile believers and and only towards Jewish people, not only is he treating them as if they are second-rate Christians, as if they are not as good because of something about them, but he is, through his influence, leading the rest of the Jewish Christians to do the same thing. Right, right. He is he's doing something that he shouldn't do, but it's highlighted even more because the rest of the folks are following him because he's a leader and this leader is doing something and when leaders do something. They're often followed. And so we see it wasn't just him. It was the rest of the Jews, likely thousands of people who all of a sudden are breaking fellowship with their Gentile Christian brothers and sisters, with their church members. They're not spending time with them. They're not talking to them. They're not having them over for meals anymore. And it's so noticeable that even Barnabas, who's one of Paul's good friends, who's another leader in the church, he's being led astray, and he's acting as a hypocrite as well. And so it makes this big deal an even bigger deal, because it's not only Peter doing the wrong thing, but he's leading other people to do the wrong thing as well. And point two, Peter's actions influenced others. And they absolutely did. And what a great reminder for us of the unintended consequences of our actions. Right? I've heard people through the years say, well, look, I know that this is a sin, but it really only affects me. So brothers and sisters, there's no sin that only affects you. There's no such thing. Our actions impact other people. They influence other people. And they are also sins against God, every single one of them. So every one of them become a bigger deal than we might think that they are. But wait, there's more. There is another reason that this is a big deal. Not only is it hypocritical, not only is it leading others to do the same, But what we see in verse 14 is probably the strongest condemnation against Peter's actions. Paul said, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And I want to stop there for just a moment because there is the condemning statement. That to me, at least for me personally as a Christian person, as somebody that loves Jesus Christ and that loves his word, and that believes that every word of Scripture is perfect and true and should be lived out to its fullest extent. And I think Peter would be in that same group. If you were to come to me and say, Brother Zach, I don't like what you're doing. that's, that's That's kind of hard. I don't like to hear that. Brother Zach, I don't think that's best. That's kind of hard. But if you come to me and say, Brother Zach, what you are doing is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Brother Zach, what you are doing or what you are teaching or what you are saying or what you are modeling is out of step with the truth of the gospel that cuts deep. And that's what Paul is saying here about Peter. He's saying that... That what he's doing is not just, it's not fair to the Gentile Christians. Oh, it's unkind. No, he's saying what he's doing does not align with the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that, it might sound like Paul's exaggerating. To say that what he's doing is out of step with the gospel, is that not just hyperbole? It's not. Brothers and sisters, what he's doing here is undermining the teaching of the gospel. How so? Because the gospel tells us this. That Jesus Christ, who is God, looked while, was, while he was in heaven, looked down at people, at sinful, rebellious, prideful, terrible people, like you, like me. And instead of saying, I want nothing to do with them had such great compassion and such great love that he left heaven and came here in order to redeem us, to ransom us from our sin. And so he did. He lives a perfect life where he never does anything wrong. And then he dies a perfect, atoning death, right? It's this terrible death, it's this excruciating death where he pays the penalty for our sins. But he doesn't stay dead. He also shows his power over death whenever he's resurrected and he comes back to life. And now this is the promise of the gospel. If you have faith in him, if you believe this truth, if you call on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your sins are taken away. You are reconciled to God and your relationship with him is perfect. You're part of the kingdom of God you're part of the family of God. You're part of the people of God. And you are equally, every one of us, equally loved and treasured and cherished by God himself. That's the teaching of the gospel, right? That, that we are all on the same level playing field as Christians, there aren't rankings of Christians. That these are more valuable than those. These are more important than those. Because I thought about it this week. I love saying that, that there's no such thing as. White Christians and black Christians and Hispanic Christians and Asian Christians. There's no such thing as poor Christians and rich Christians and educated Christians and uneducated Christians and important and influential Christians and useless Christians. Those categories don't exist because there are simply Christians. It doesn't matter what language you speak. Doesn't matter what country you come from. Doesn't matter what color your skin is. Doesn't matter what diploma is hanging on your wall. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. No other adjectives are needed. This is the truth of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you agree with it or not, this is what the Bible teaches. So, when Peter begins to act like those Christians are not as good as him. Right? Because they haven't been circumcised, because they don't eat the the Old Testament Jewish diet. They don't follow the law of Moses and their dietary habits. Acting like that makes them less important or less valuable to God. To, To make it seem that he does not need to be around them because they don't do those things is out of step with the gospel. It is undermining the teaching of the gospel that says that we are all one in Christ. And so point three is this, Peter's actions undermined the gospel. They did because people that saw his actions would think that there were different classes or levels of Christians, but that's not the teaching of Scripture. And so the last thing, the only other thing to see in the last part of verse 14 is how does Paul respond to this? So I'll read all of verse 14 again. He says, But when I saw that their conduct, theirs, right, not just Peter's, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I know that last part sounds like a riddle and we're not trying He's saying, you've been eating everything that they eat. You've been spending time with them. You've been acting just like them. So how can you expect them to change and be just like these other Jews? That's what he's saying. But here's the thing that you really need to understand that he's doing here is he is directly and publicly addressing this issue. Paul doesn't just overlook it. He doesn't act like it's not a big deal. He doesn't just let it fall to the wayside. No, he says, I said to Cephas before them all so that everybody would hear and everybody would see that this public action that was leading so many people astray was not right and was not correct. And so point four, the last point, Paul addressed the sin directly. Now, I want to end with just a couple of points of application of this text, right? Well, I, I pray now that you understand the text, right? Peter was segregating himself and the other Jews unknowingly, I think, but the other Jews away from the Gentiles, away from the Gentile Christians. We're not spending time with them. He's doing that, and that is a big deal because it's hypocritical and because it's leading others to do the same and because it's undermining the teaching of the gospel. That's what's taking place here. So Paul steps up and addresses it. Makes, it. makes sure they understand what they're doing. Brings it to their attention. This is accountability. We all need this because there are times in life that we all are doing something we should not do. And we need a brother or sister to come and tell us when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. It's valuable. Accountability is very important in the life of a Christian. So the first point of application I have for you is that actions have consequences. And we, we must recognize that. Peter could have said, no, my, my understanding of the gospel is correct. And they, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, right, they just had this big meeting where Paul and Peter and James and John talk about the gospel. And they do all agree. And so I think in here and in here, he did understand the gospel. But with his actions... He was saying something different than the gospel. And we have to recognize that our actions are, actions can hurt people. Not just about what we say, it's about what we do. And not only were there consequences for him, there are consequences for others because he was leading other people to do things that they should not do. And so our actions have consequences. And we need to recognize that all of our actions, right? We love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything we do, think, say needs to align with the teachings of Scripture. But more specifically for this text, I think that we have to recognize and act like the gospel is true. We all need to recognize, and I think we all agree on the gospel's message. Who Jesus is what He has done for us, how desperately we needed Him to come and to save us, right? How hopeless and helpless we were without Jesus. But I think we also need to recognize that that gospel is good enough to save everybody, right? This gospel message, the work, the atoning death of Jesus is good enough to save everybody. Every single person that will respond in faith to Jesus Christ. There's nobody that you know who is too bad or too far gone for the grace of God. But sometimes our actions don't say that. Right? We say that in church. Yes, God can save anyone. But then there are some people that we don't go and share the gospel with. Why? Because deep down what we really think is probably not them they're probably not going to respond in faith. Or they, you know, they, I know what type of person they are. Brothers and sisters, that's living out of step with the teaching of the gospel. Right? The gospel says everybody needs to hear and everybody that responds will be saved and reconciled to God. But sometimes we act like the gospel is reserved for people that look like us or talk like us or live the way that we live Right? Dress the way that we dress. Run in the circles that we run in. But brothers and sisters, that's not true. And I also want you to hear this this morning, because some of you, I recognize, at some points in your life, from somebody in your family, from some friend, from somebody that lives down the road, were probably treated like these Gentile Christians were treated. You were treated like a second-tier Christian. As if you weren't as good as somebody else based on some legalistic reason, based on some socioeconomic reason. Somebody made you feel, in a church setting, somebody made you feel like you weren't as important as other people. And if that's happened to you, let me just stop and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, brothers and sisters, that that happened to you. Because that's not what the gospel teaches it's not the way that Christ lived his life. I want you to hear this this morning. Like if you're kind of asleep, wake up. The person next to you is kind of asleep. Wake them up. But I want you to hear this. If you have responded in faith to Jesus Christ, you are a first-tier Christian. There's no other. You are fully accepted And loved by God. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He cares for you and loves you more than you love yourself. He has a plan for your life that is perfect and meaningful, that gives you hope. And joy and contentment. And He has picked a perfect place for you to dwell in heaven forever. And is preparing a place for you so that one day you will live there with Him forever and ever. And don't let anybody ever tell you any different. Because in Christ, that's who you are. That's who you are. Praise God that the gospel is true. The last point of application is this. You know, they always tell you to pick your battles. Well, there are some battles that are worth picking. There are some battles that are worth fighting. When we think about why, why would Paul go and oppose Peter, an apostle, a leader in the church before everybody? Martin Luther, in his commentary, uh, gives a, a brief summary statement of why all of this took place, why Paul was willing to do what he did. And so here's the quote. He says, the controversy was for the maintenance of pure doctrine and the truth of the gospel. And in this dispute, Paul did not care for the offense of any. Why was Paul willing to, why was this a heel worth dying on for Paul? Because, brothers and sisters, it wasn't somebody just not doing what he thought they should or or what he thought was right. This was somebody whose life and actions were opposing the teaching of Scripture. The truth of God's Word, the, the verification and the validity of the gospel message itself. So Paul did not care that this was Peter. I would say likely the most influential Christian on the entire earth. At this point in time was Peter. And Paul said, I don't care who he is. And Paul did not care that it was Barnabas, one of his good friends. And Paul did not care that it was likely thousands of other Jews. Peter and Barnabas and thousands of others. And Paul was the only one opposing them. Paul did not care to him Making sure that God's Word was taught and lived correctly was a battle worth fighting. And he went to that hill even if he had to die on that hill. And I ask you this morning, do you love God's Word that much? That if one of your brothers or sisters, if somebody else that you've gone to church with for years, somebody that's part of your Sunday school class, if you see them living in a way that is not scriptural, do you love them and love God's Word enough, not always publicly, not always in this way, but do you love God's Word and love them enough to go to them and tell them, hey brother, hey sister, I've noticed that you've been doing this. And I want you to know that, that God's Word says this, the Bible says this. That's not what well we should, they might get mad they might get, Peter might have gotten mad. Barnabas might have gotten mad. Paul did not care. He cared more about God's word than he did about possibly offending somebody else. And I ask you this morning, is God's word a heel that you're worth dying on? And I pray that it is. So this morning we're going to have a time of response. And as we prepare to have a time of response, I just want to ask you a couple of personal reflection questions. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe it in your mind and in your heart, and do your actions reflect that you believe it? Do you live it out? If you do, then do you treat all Christians as if they are meaningful and important and valuable? And if you do believe God's Word, as much as you say you do, are you willing to make sure that it is taught and lived correctly by the other Christians around you. This morning, I want to invite you to stand, and as we have a time of response, these are questions for you to think on. There may be some other way that the Lord is calling you to respond to this text, and if so, I, I, just, I, I recommend that you listen to Him, that you do what He's calling you to. If you need to pray where you are, this is a great time to do that. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'm here. I would love the opportunity to pray with you. If you need to do something else or respond in some other way, if you just want to sing out of joy in response to the truth of the gospel, you do that, but you do whatever the Lord leads you to do. As Brother Shane leads us in the hymn of response.
1: I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus. Keep me from all wrong I'll be satisfied as long As I walk, let me walk close to Thee Just a closer walk with Thee Granted, Jesus, is my plea Daily walking close to Thee Let it be, dear Lord, let it be When my feeble life is over Time for me will be no more Guide me gently, safely to Thy kingdom shore, To Thy shore Just a closer Walk with Thee Granted Jesus is my fleet Daily Walking close to Thee Let it be Dear Lord let it be maybe see.
0: this morning we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together.